three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I'm your host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Alfred Pennygirth, a.k.a. Fat Man is Throbbin, a.k.a. Thick Grayson, The Baked Crusader, Razal Cool, a.k.a. Hail Bro Mega. Hey, and I'm Ty. All right, nice. <laughs> I got no AKAs. I'm sorry, I didn't prepare anything. You know, it's it's a classic one, and I uh, I like it. You can't go wrong with a good old tie. You can't. You really can't. Everyone likes a tie. Not at all. Now, Ty, I had prepared a few questions to ask you, but I think I'm only going to save those questions for guests. Um, I think at this point, you are ready for a co-host position. Do you think you're ready for that? Oh, my God. I, f- I feel like Dick Grayson. Like, I just got promoted. Oh, it... it- you have no idea, okay? I uh, couldn't 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 do this without you. So so you you are hereby dubbed a co-host. I am putting the virtual sword over your shoulders, oh, yes. and yeah, it's it's about your time, okay? It feels uh, good. Thank you for having me. You know, this is uh, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, honestly. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I guess I gotta thank COVID nineteen because I don't know if this would have happened otherwise. So you my know. God, it's beautiful. It really is. It's it's changing my life right now. Tyler's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um I just because it's uh it's customary. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm excited to be here and do this. Uh, there you go. That's you know, same same here. Despite how everything else is going, at least we still have this. Um so as Listeners may know by reading the title of this episode, we are reviewing not a movie this time, not a TV show, which I don't think we've ever done anyway, but we are <laughs> reviewing a, uh, a, what is this, a miniseries? Does it count as that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's weird. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a comic book, but it's a different format than I've really seen in most comic books. It's really interesting. Yeah, so these are, um, you know, Maybe giant size. I don't know. A little thicker than your average comic book. Yeah, they're definitely than longer average. than a regular issue. Yes, but this is a three-part series, uh, which was supposed to be uh, the final work between Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder. It is known as Batman Last Night on Earth. And before we get to it, I just want to uh, do some housekeeping right now. Um, things that are going on, as some of you may or may not know, both Ty and I are on Long Island, and um, we've had not one, but at least two lockdown protests uh, so far. How do you feel about these, Ty? You know, I understand not wanting to be told what to do, not wanting the government to tell you what to do, but I feel like they're protesting the wrong things. You know, there's so many things that are happening in the world and have been happening and they choose this to protest, it just feels um, privileged, I guess would be the word I would use, you know, that they're allowed to do this and, and feel like they can. Um, you know, I, I, I don't agree with it. I really don't. 
I mean, it's blowing me away that there are so many people, uh, I mean, not necessarily in Long Island. They haven't brought out their guns yet. I am sure it's going to happen soon. Oh, yeah. Um, but like, well, it's not an like, open carry state, so, I mean, you can't, right? Um, I don't think it is, but, but I'm pretty sure I'd have to look into the laws, but like, you know, you could probably still like walk around with a shotgun or something like that because, because that's impossible to, uh, to conceal. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know all the laws. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can. I don't think you're allowed to walk around with a weapon uh, unless you're at a shooting range, uh, you're hunting and have a hunting license. Like, I don't think you're allowed to openly carry a firearm. Well, you're not allowed to break social distancing rules and walk around <laughs> other people without masks either. And yet, if you're white, you can totally do it. So, But the thing is, it's not a law. It's an executive order. And that's kind of where the, the, uh, the muddling here happens, where people are like, it's not a law, so technically I don't have to follow it. Oh, is that the case? Okay, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's, because... a, that's the big argument I've heard from a lot of people. Like, oh, no, it's not a law. Don't forget. It's an executive order. A lot of people are saying it's Como flexing his power and being a tyrant. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of Como, but I don't agree with that either. Well, yeah, there's this whole sentiment of like, oh, our rights are being violated and stuff, and we have the right to work and blah, blah, blah. And it just blows my mind how like when people's rights are actually being violated and they should take up arms and march on Washington or or go to their representatives and, and demand a better quality of life or, or whatever it may be, uh, they don't do that. It's 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 only for stuff like this, which which is blowing it's, my mind. It's interesting that they're willing to protest, right? Not being able to go to work, you know, opening businesses, uh, you know, having to wear a mask, but they won't protest the fact that I think we're the only co- major like first world country in, in the planet on the planet that basically has not uh, found a way to provide um, both healthcare and financial stability to our citizens, right? Like, it, it's pretty crazy that all these other countries have either f- uh, frozen mortgages and, and rent payments or are providing, you know, uh, a certain amount of money a month to their citizens, you know, providing free health care and covering everything, and they're not doing that. They gave us a one-time shot of $1,200, um, and they're contemplating doing a second one. But people aren't protesting that. They're protesting, like, let's just open the businesses back up. Let's go back to work. Yeah, it seems pretty myopic, you know? Like, the whole thing is like, oh, we have to work because, uh, you know, we need to make money that way. I mean, there are other people who are like, oh, I want a haircut. I want to go out, blah, blah, blah. But I do think, especially on Long Island, and, you know, you can fight back on this, I think a lot of people right now are just desperate because their government's not taking care of them. The government mishandled a pandemic. So these people are out of work and now they're not taking care of those people because who knows why. So these people are, you know, they're going to go broke. You know, there's the possibility, you know, that eventually they might starve or, or, or whatever. And that's why people are like, oh, like, you know, we have to go back to work that. And of course, the president of the United States, and I shudder saying that title in reference to uh, (laughs) Trump, um, in reference to 45, as it were, um, he's the one also encouraging people to to, yeah, it's it's to weird because you have basically people who are Trump supporters who are eating up everything he says, right? So, like, you know, he's he's calling, you know, it's not a big deal, you know, we should open back up, uh, take this hydrochloric, whatever the hell it is, and people are eating Hydroxychloroquine. Thank you, thank you. 
<laughs> and you also have a group of people who are distrustful, distrustful of the government in general, right? Not even people who are Trump supporters, but people who, um, you know, are either anti-vaccine or, you know, uh, anti-government and things like that. And they feel it's a conspiracy. And I think a lot of this boils down to the fact that, um, A, our government has fucked us over so many times that people are distrustful <laughs> of them. And I yeah. get that. Uh, yeah. And the second is there have been so many um, contradicting pieces of information that have come out from our government, from from the United States in regards to this pandemic. You know, like uh, supposedly Dr. Fauci was on 60 Minutes in March talking about how masks won't help. Okay. And really? fast forward two months Supposedly. later. Yeah, I mean, I, apparently there's a clip out there. I haven't watched it, but a lot of people I know have. Um, supposedly saying, you know, the masks don't really help. A lot of people in China are wearing them, but in the end, it won't stop the virus from going through it. You fast forward two months, and now we're being told we have to wear masks or, like, it's the best thing to do. And so when you get that kind of contradicting information, I think it makes people feel like there's an ulterior motive, you know? And, that, and that's a tough spot to be in. You know what I think would be great? Uh, there's this piece of information going around. I really think you should look into it, actually. Um, it's this video called Plandemic. Have you heard of it? Plandemic? I've never heard of this. Oh, my God, dude. It sheds light on everything. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I haven't fucking watched it. It's already been debunked so many times. But uh, people are willing to believe anything. Especially well, she doesn't cite anything in it, right? That That's like the big issue. It's like, okay, you know. If you really have information that contradicts what we're being told, that's that's great. You know, more information is great. But um, like she literally just goes on a spiel telling you about all the things that are wrong that you're being lied to about. She doesn't provide any kind of documentation or citation of any actual scientific facts. And she's a, uh, a disgraced scientist, right? She was actually fired um, for, I think, faking something and she also stole from her lab like it's, it's like a whole thing and it's like i think and hid on a houseboat yeah, yeah she hid on a houseboat trying to avoid like you know persecution of, of like real scientists should hell yeah <laughs> i'm just like you know i i've heard so many people that i really admire and and i think are very intelligent be like have you heard you know have you watched the video like she she's debunking everything and it's like no, no, like that's not that's not the answer. Like just listening to someone, I could get up here and talk about whatever I want and tell you that it, you know it's science. And if you believe me, then that's that's just crazy, right? Well, it's like you said, more information, uh, more information is good, but misinformation is what's deadly. Yeah, and that seems to be the uh, the theme, I guess, of this whole situation. And I guess a lot of that has to has to do with technology and the world we currently live in. You know, it's a lot easier to spread that stuff. I mean, how many times you can make a Facebook post, right? Like a, you could put like a meme up there and people will spread it around and believe it's fact. Yeah. And I've actually taken to now looking through uh, the information that these memes uh, claim to purport because it may be something that supports my point of view. But then I'll like I'll actually look into it and see whether or not it's true, because, you know, at this point, it doesn't matter what side it's on. I, you know, I say very loosely in quotes, uh, but, you know, misinformation just isn't right. Yeah. And the funny thing is, all it takes sometimes is a quick Google search. You know, it, like it, that's that's all I do. It is a quick. Google right. Search. You just you just throw in like the main theme or idea of the meme and like, you know, you quickly find out if it's like false or not and i feel like nobody takes the time to do that 
And the the worst part about it is that people have already done the work. All you have to do is put in the keywords. I know. And I'm see. Like, Come on, we have a computer <laughs> at our fingertips at all times, right? Like a phone is a computer yeah. now, and you're you're on Facebook or wherever. Like, just take two seconds and search it before you post it. Man, uh, last part of the whole lockdown thing is uh, here on Long Island. We have a local news station, News Twelve, uh, which you and I were talking about off mic. Um, for the most part, is pretty even handed in its information. You know, like I said. Uh, I do think that anytime there's a crime committed by a Hispanic person, they are on top of it. Um, but I mean, I no, think but, I think they're just looking for a story because they're, they're very, very local news, you know. And it's like very usually local. they're they're posting about some bullshit nobody cares about. So it's like when they can actually <laughs> talk about like something crazy happening, I think they're like, "Fuck yeah, let's get on that." Absolutely. And when uh, the when the most recent protests happened, uh, news anchor Kevin VC he went there. And people were like breaking social distancing, not wearing masks, getting up in his face, um, you know, verbally assaulting him, almost physically accosting him. And he uh, posted this video about it and 45 retweeted it and was like, fake news is not essential, blah, blah, blah. Like this reminds me, I'm not sure if you ever saw it, uh, the episode of South Park where Mr. Garrison is like the Trump character and he's going back and forth with North Korea about tweak, like a random. <laughs> no. And he's like, he's like, Oh, North Korea tweak isn't scared of you. Like, <laughs> like you know, you, and, and North Korea is sending missiles over tweak's house and everything. And tweak is losing Jesus his mind Christ. over it. It's, it's, it's just like that. It's like, why the fuck do you care about news 12, bro? Like you're the, my, my question the is just like, does he really believe it? Or is he, like is he just so dumb that he thinks it's really fake or he just wants to commit to his narrative i i don't know you know like i go back and forth i'm like is he doing this on purpose does he not really know what he's doing like it's it's hard to tell it, it really it really is tough to tell because like he's really doubled down on this whole the media lies thing um but like i don't know it it, it is just deadly you know he's yeah. following all of the you know all the steps in the rule book to become a fascist leader and you know discrediting the media is part of it but then also like riling up his base people who maybe who don't know any better and we'll get into that later in the story because that's kind of part of what happens in last night on earth um but like i don't that's I'm, that's deadly it's deadly it, I mean, like, so I, I'm a manager for, you know, a grocery store and the grocery you, store. Well, maybe. Yeah. Many may say that. Uh, <laughs> but in the, last, in the last two weeks, especially, I've noticed like a, a shift in people's attitudes. You know, early really? on, it was a lot of like, thank you. Thank you so much for your service. You know, like, like they should be on the front lines. Oh, my a God. Lot yeah, more the front line of, a lot less of that, rather. And a lot more like just fucking angry, angry people. I think people are just sick of being home. They're like ready to, to come out of their house. They don't want to wait on lines at the grocery store. They just want to fucking go about their business. Like I've had, I had a situation with a woman who wouldn't wear a mask and a gentleman who kept getting in her face because of it. They were going back and forth outside before they even got into the building. Wow. Um, Cause we, we can't, we can't do anything while they're outside. Once they're in the building, they're required yeah. to wear it. When they come inside, they're just going back and forth harassing each other. The woman tells me she's calling the police if I don't stop him. Then it turns out he's a police officer. He whips out a badge and tries to intimidate me. 
and to what? like backing down and like I'm just this like is insane. What the fuck. I'm like I'm like well I'm gonna call the police on both of you. They don't just fucking shop for your groceries and go out. Like I'm like <laughs> I'm why am I better at like de-escalating this situation than a trained police officer. That's what blew my mind, first of all. But like seriously, I'm just like, why am I the one doing this? But like, I've just noticed like people have been cr- like, we have a guy who's been coming who won't won't wear a mask, claims it's medical, uh, but he's also claiming it's because he's Jewish. I I don't know. Like I don't know if he's saying like it's like a Nazi thing that we can't ask for like medical paperwork. It's what? it's just it's unbelievable, man. People are just fucking losing their minds and. You know, especially people who are Trump supporters, I think, are just like, they're like, fuck this. We're going to do what we want. You can't stop us. I don't know. It's um, it, it really just doesn't make any sense to me on the outside. Uh, but I don't know. People are easily swayed. And we'll go into the whole idea of the true nature of humankind uh, later in this story, because uh, comic books get deep. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, people don't realize that. Uh, next, next bit of business. So, last episode we did was the overrated podcast for Empire Strikes Back. How did you think that went? Uh, I actually wasn't on that one. It was uh, my my counterpart Kyle Chanel. Uh, he, oh, he said of course, was, that's right. He said it was pretty pretty fun. He enjoyed uh, bashing Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I like definitely want to do another episode. Uh, like that. I mean, I want to do as many more of those as we can because, like I said previously, it's just it's a good like palate cleanser for us. You know, we just go off and say ridiculous stuff. I think my character, I don't think my character, the Booch, is too problematic. I think that the way I made him out is like is <laughs> is problematic. Like I used trade school as a fucking punchline. Where it's like a legitimate path to a career, and like, I I think there 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 is a a storyline to go through with with him though. Like, how it, it seems know. like he's in denial of his true self. Yeah, like I think he has a history with. Uh, I mean, I know he has a history with abuse, which I really dialed into, uh, and trivialized. So we'll see how how the reception goes from our uh, seven and a half listeners. Um, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> That half a person um, counts, though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Or, or maybe it's just the person who listened halfway through and was like, "Fuck this." Um, <laughs> I don't. And for me, like Kyle Chanel, like obviously, I'm kind of a, at least I used to be like a very big film snob, but uh, I think I'm just I try to be less of a douchebag than that. So I want to take it up and a notch and be like one of those guys who just like fucking judges everything about the movie and. Uh, wants to make it, you know, like a David Lynch film for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think we have some stuff to learn, but I think I think we'll hit our stride. I definitely want to do a few more episodes, and um, you know, if you are one of our seven and a half uh, listeners, feel free to let us know through all the contact uh, information we have. Uh, most likely, if you're listening, it's because I know you personally. So just shoot me a text or something and let me yeah. know what you thought. Give us of some feedback of overrated. our characters of the whole thing, you know. Maybe give us some ideas. Yeah, you know, because I I have no problem exploring why the Booch is a toxic bro and how, like, you know, he feels like he has to compensate, uh, you know, for what he thinks is lost masculinity or whatever. But, uh, you know, there's 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 specific ways to to do things. Um, speaking of specific ways to do things, let's talk about uh, the ways in which these uh, creators – 
tell the story of Batman? Do you want to start off with the creators uh, or start off with the plot? Oh, you know, let's talk a little bit about about the creators and, and, you know, their history with Batman and each other. Awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, Last Night on Earth is a collaboration between multiple people. There's, uh, you know, there's also Jonathan Glapion no. and FCO Placencia, who are, uh, in, you know, no one person can make. I mean, one person can make a comic book, but it is amazing to see just how many different hands go into making it. Uh, what it is as a finished project. Uh, Glapion is an amazing inker. Uh, Placentia has beautiful colors in what is arguably one of the darkest Batman stories of all time, and yet it still really stands out. It's so vibrant. Yeah, I think once you realize like how much goes into a comic book, you know, I, you know, we've been reading comics for a very long time, and I remember you know early years of of reading them and, and going to cons and stuff, and and thinking like it's just the artist and the writer, you know, and then like. You would meet an inker and you'd see what they did on on a certain project and it's like wow they really they brought it to the next level you know like it was good but they made it great yeah i mean that that they're really the unsung heroes and then of course let me just go into uh there's also tom napolitano he was their letterer um you know it, that's a a whole thing like I, unless you're really into comics and you and I are really into comics, but I don't think that much that it's like, yo, who's your favorite letterer, bro? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But if you look at the cover, right. For like, uh, last night on earth issue one. And first of all, the cover's incredible. I, I think it's amazing. I love it. It's one of my favorite covers. Um, even like the lettering on the title and everything is just so cool. Like it's so unique and it just really works. Yeah, it's got the right amount of grit. I think lettering is one of those things that it's it's so important, like, but you don't notice if it's bad until it is. You yeah, know, that's like true. if the job is done well, then you don't notice. It's one of those things. I think it's like I guess it's the way it's supposed to be, right? It's like seamless. Like you just get into it, you're like, all right, here we go. Like rather than be like, wow, this really stands out because I'm used to such shitty like lettering or, or comic books, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, most modern comics, especially like you really can, you know, you, you can see it and you know, when you get a bad one more than a good one, I think. Yeah. So, uh, now to the two very well sung heroes who I don't think their praises can be, uh, saying or sung enough, uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, they are a super team, um, who have been working on Batman since what? two thousand. 10 2009 it's been a while i think so yeah it was uh it was the new 52 um that that they started working on batman when they kind of rebooted everything yeah and batman was really one of the standout titles of the new 52 line and um i i didn't really have any idea who these people were beforehand uh you know greg capullo uh he lives and I'm not sure if he still does, but, you know, he had lived out in Schenectady, upstate New York, uh, not classically trained artist, and he'd worked on Spawn for a while. He's very close friends with Todd McFarlane, and, uh, you know, he was being put on a mainstream book like Batman. A lot of people didn't like it because they thought he was going to make it too exaggerated and make him look like, you know, Spawn and everything like that. And then you have Scott Snyder, who is a Long Island native, and, yep. you know, I know Billy Joel comes from Long Island and, you know, you have Mariah Carey and Ralph Macchio. Like, you have a lot of Long Island celebrities, but none of them are, like, make me proud to be like, yo, I'm from Long Island, bro. But Scott Snyder really 
does. Well, you know, like I've had the pleasure of meeting him several times and every time I've met him, he actually goes to one of our local comic book stores a lot. Um, a lot. Signs, he signs for free. Uh, almost yep. every time. And he's just such a nice guy and like a fan. Like he's a fan of comic books. I remember I met him uh, years and years ago when he was working on Swamp Thing. And he was like, yo, you want to see like some stuff from the next issue? Because I was telling him how much I was enjoying it, how he got me into Swamp Thing for the first time. He like whips out like the next issue that's not even out yet, and starts like showing me images from it. And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, this is really happening. And like, he's known to do that. Like a, a coworker of mine, he showed like stuff from Batman, like Dark Knight Metal. Like he he's just like a super fan who likes meeting fans, um, and and just like really pleasant person. And it's incredible how like you think of all of the most. Um integral parts of Batman's story throughout the years and and who they came from. You know, you have obviously your Bob Kane and Bill Finger at the beginning of the lore. And then you have like Denny O'Neill added a lot of stuff and uh, and a variety of, you know, your Chuck Dixon uh, with Bane and everything. Like, you know, you have a lot of writers. I can't name them all. But Scott Snyder in the short time, I think he's been working on Batman, has added so much to the lore already that wasn't there previously. It's incredible. Yeah, his, I mean, his run's iconic now. It's probably considered one of the best runs on Batman. Um, he, I think he understands the character of Batman better than most other writers. You know, uh, Tom King, for example, took over after him on, on the regular Batman series. Oh, here we go. Sorry, I just don't think he understands <laughs> Batman or Bruce Wayne the way that Scott Snyder does. Like, he just oh, definitely him. not. He, it's like he like he knows who he is inside and out. When I read a Scott Snyder Batman comic, that's Batman to me. Every time. I'm never like, oh man, he messed it. Like, no, like even if the story's not my favorite, Batman is always right on for me. And he's also he's great at writing Dick Grayson. Uh, you know, he was one of the people who wrote Dick Grayson as Batman, uh, in Black Mirror, Batman the Black Mirror. Yeah, and um, I think he did Gates of Did he do Gates of Gotham before he, yeah, or after Black Mirror? I think it was before Four? I well, think it might know. have been. Yeah, but that was so, that was like his standout like comic. That was that was his entry into Batman. I think. Yep, yep. Like he just he just knows the universe. He knows the characters. Like it. it he's a really really good writer. You know his run um, on on Swamp Thing was fantastic. Uh, he's done American Vampire with Stephen King. Like he he's done a lot of creative creator own stuff and like it's just Which always is, great. Yeah, witches, like, witches he took from, like, a personal story of, like, something that really scared him as a kid and made it into this fantastic horror comic. And, like, he just gives us all, you know? And I think he's just, he's got to be one of the best writers in comics today, by far. I I 100% agree. Um, I mean, you had, like, the Court of Owls, right, have made their way into the Gotham show. Uh, the Joker without the face and then putting the face back on like in Texas Chainsaw that yep. made it into into Gotham. Um, I mean, Court of Owls is iconic, man. Like, I feel absolutely. like like it's so good. It's so well written, so interesting. You know, he really like and that was like his I think that was the first arc, right, of his Batman run. Like, it yes, was that like, was the oh first arc of his Bruce Wayne. Bat- that was the first arc of the new 52. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that's like home run right, right out of the gates and he just he just kept it going and then recently you have dark knight's metal uh you know with the batman who laughs he made up all of those different uh you know dark knights from the other universes 
and it's it's just amazing that this stuff came from this person's head, made it into the lore that you know DC, which is distributed worldwide, Batman, which is distributed worldwide, has all of these ideas throughout it, and it came from some fucking guy from Long Island. Yeah, How incredible I mean, is that? Duke Harper, real like he's made all these characters that you know. Oh, that's maybe right. They're not the most important character in Batman's story. But they're sticking around. Like people, you know, they're recognizable. They're they're going to be in the lore. Um, I mean, that's pretty incredible. You know, it's, these are people that are hanging out with Dick Grayson and uh, Tim Drake. You know, so it's it, it's pretty incredible. This guy, like you said, this guy from Long Island was able to do this. Um, and to me, like he's the Batman writer right now. Uh, yeah, and even even with those characters, like when Sean Murphy did uh, White Knight. And Curse of the White Knight, his his own Batman story, which collects from multiple parts of the canon while not adhering to any one of them, uh, he puts Scott Snyder's characters into that story. Like, you know, I think that shows that Scott's version of Batman is is pretty essential. Yeah, by, by far. I think, um, you know, New 52 uh, occurred in 2011. Um, and I think, you know, everything that he's done on there, it's going to be the recommended Batman book. For new readers, um, you know, it's it's stuff that people are, are not going to forget anytime soon by far. Hopefully not. Uh, one, I want to close off on just talking about that uh, by uh, mentioning, because you said, you know, he comes to one of our local comic book stores all the time. And I, I feel kind of like I, you know, we have that privilege because when we've been at New York Comic Con, you know, when I've been there, uh, you know, I was going to get Scott's... I, uh, I was going to get Scott's autograph, right? I was going to get um, Scott's autograph alongside Greg Capullo, who was the one who I haven't ever met before, but I love, I really love his work, his art. Um, you know, there are people who are like, oh, I traveled from Ohio or, you know, or I traveled from this place to meet Scott Snyder because of his writing, blah, blah, blah. You know, is this your first time meeting? And, and I'm like, oh, like, I've actually kind of run out of stuff for him to sign at this point because <laughs> I met him so much. <laughs> It, it's crazy. Like my coworker uh, always goes to his signings at our comic book store, and like he would always get like, "What do you want from me? like if I couldn't make?" It, he's like, "What do you want? What do you, what do you want me to get signed for you?" And, like there was a point where I'm like, "Dude, I, I got nothing." <laughs> I'm like, I'm "Like whatever. Like if you get me something, you get me something." He's like, "Oh, you get this cool poster or something? All right, cool. I'll add it to the collection." You know, it's like, thanks. I mean, I have like uh, different comics on display in my you know little cove creative area, uh, and. I do have a couple that are signed by Scott, but I was looking in my long box yesterday and I realized I have Scott signed comics in my long box too because I just didn't have a place to display them. I just have so many at this point. I actually got both of us uh, the first issue of his Batman run. And I think I had it personalized, right, to each of us? Yes, you did. Yeah. I guess that's, that's cool. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was around the time of my birthday too, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, uh, cool, whatever," because I wasn't—I e- didn't even collect single issues at that point yet. So, like, yeah. I let that thing take a beating. It was signed to <laughs> me by ahead. Scott Snyder. I think it uh, graded it at an eight, at an eight point six, uh, which isn't terrible. That's actually not like, bad. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably should have been lower, but um, but yeah. So, uh, thank you for that. Thanks for introducing me to Scott and Capullo. Um, yeah. You know, currently, I think they're working on one more, quote unquote, last uh, story together, which is like, I think it follows that metal storyline. I think it's called Death Metal. Yeah, they weren't. I don't think they were supposed to, but it was so successful um, that they're doing the sequel now. Apparently, DC is pulling out all the stops like 
anyone in the, that's ever approached the DC universe is going to appear at some point in this comic. It's going to be pretty, uh, pretty intense. And it's definitely in the right hands. We see in this comic, there's a lot of, um, you know, Scott using the lore, like throughout the entire DC universe, he's bringing up references and characters that I either haven't thought about in a long time or still don't even know what he's talking about, believe it or not. Yeah. I mean, and it's pretty cool that he can write like a very personal, like character driven moment or story, but then also do some fucking crazy shit. Like, like dark Knight's metal where they're talking about like all this interdimensional stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what's happening, but it's cool. Yeah. And, uh, I actually did speak to him on Twitter. That's another thing. His messages are always open, and if he can get to you, he will. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I spoke to him on Twitter once, and I was just like, hey, is it mandatory to read uh, the the companion issues for Dark Knight's Metal, like off of the main storyline? Because there were all these individual stories that were done about each of the Dark Knights from the other universes, and... Um, He was like, no, you don't have to. I didn't want to make that kind of story where you have to, but it's extra. And honestly, I kind of like those stories just a smidge more than I like the main one. They were so great. Yeah, some really good stuff there. Yeah, which, I mean, he didn't write everyone everyone specifically either, but, you know, he came up with the original idea and origins, I assume, and was just like, all right, go for it. Make a comic about this alternate Batman. All right, so let's move forward to Last Night on Earth, which, you know what, Ty? Give him the plot. 20 years in the future, Bruce Wayne wakes up in Arkham Asylum. Young, sane, and he's never been Batman. To piece together the mystery of his past, the Dark Knight embarks on a sprawling quest to this unknown world, meeting futuristic versions of former friends and enemies, including a grisly traveling companion, the Joker's head. Somehow still alive, Joker's decapitated head becomes Batman's ghoulish guide to the landscape of the devastated DC Universe. The to unravel the cause of this terrible future, to track down the unspeakable force that destroyed the world he once knew. This could be the last Batman story ever told. As we find out, they all could be. And they all <laughs> every, not every being. time. I mean, they were really pushing this as like their final work, you know, um, which it doesn't look like it's going to be. But yeah, it would have been pretty cool if it was. To quote every commercial that's come out during uh, <laughs> lockdown, during COVID, now more than ever in these uncertain times. <laughs> We need Batman stories by Snyder, Capullo, Glapion, and whoever else wants to wants to jump on. If Snyder's at the helm, then that's the way to go about it. Uh, seriously, they can keep putting out as many stories as they want, and I will read as many as I can. Yeah, I think everyone will. You know, and I think that's what happened to Tom King was people were so uh, excited by Scott Snyder's stuff, it kind of hurt his run a little bit. Yeah, I could see that because Snyder he didn't stop writing. You know. Yeah, he's he's there. Let's do this, man. Um. You know, feel free to stop me wherever you want, but I'm just going to go through the the parts that I, you know, I noted. Um, by the way, I know I mentioned it to you off mic. There's a lot more in this book that pertains to our social and political climate than I originally gave it credit for when I first read it, because that's another thing that Snyder is really good at. I think he harkens back to that uh, original comic writing style of, yes, there is social commentary if you want it, like if you look for it, but even if you don't, it's just a good story. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the focus of the story, but um, it's definitely there. And I, I agree. I think the first time I read this, I enjoyed it, but like I didn't really get much out of it beyond just like, oh, it was a cool story. And I don't know if that's because I read it, you know, in increments as they were being released, but like reading it all together in one shot, 
um, the story definitely comes together and there's a lot of great stuff to take apart. So let's start taking things apart. Uh, you know, as you mentioned in the plot synopsis, uh, there's at the beginning, Bruce wakes up in in the asylum and he's been led to believe that the entire Batman story is actually a fantasy that he's had in his head and that he is insane. Yeah, and all the uh, the villains are different doctors and people that work at the hospital. And, you know, Alfred's been trying to, um, you know, get him help so that he can come back and be sane again. He finally now is woken up after all these years. Uh, and they could, they're like, all right, we can finally tell you the truth, you know, that this, none of this actually happened. And the one thing that did happen was that his parents did die, but he's the one that killed them somehow. Which is is so messed up, right? Because this, you know, the thing is, he, he refuses to believe this. He's like, no, it's not true. I don't believe this for a second. You know, Alfred tries to um, show him what his bat suit is. And it's just a straight jacket with like a, with like a bat cow on it. And uh, I love this. Oh, I love right. this movie. It's, it's yeah, cool. Well, it was it was um the electroshock uh, harness for that's right, head, right, that's right, yeah. And you know, um, so he like he's like, look, this is your suit, and, and Bruce is like, ah, oh, like let, let me see it. You know, he's like, I'm gonna need that back because he's oh, still yes. Batman. He's still Batman. You can't take that away from him. He, that's who he is. So he decides to put on this really like shitty outfit, and he he fights his way through floor after floor of the insane asylum. And, like, they keep sending people to talk him out of it. Harvey Bullock, he takes him down. Uh, I think Commissioner Gordon, he takes him down. Like, he's just, like, knocking them all down, trying to get to the top, because he's like, this isn't real. And as he's doing it, he's constructing his suit at the same time. Like, he's taking down a cop. Boom, I have your nightstick now. He has Bullock's belt, and that's his utility belt. And now he has, uh, you know, he has gloves. He has combat boots and everything. And, like, by the time he gets to the top of the asylum, the you know, the top floor, like, he's Batman again. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, and then there's this the, reve- the reveal that Alfred um, is lying to him. You know, that this isn't a real scenario. It's like a computer generated program i guess it's like the matrix right and like he's, yeah, he's living in it trying to convince him that you know this is the real world because i guess the real world isn't isn't there anymore and alfred doesn't want him to be in pain he wants him to just like let it go and stop being batman but of course you know batman uh bruce wayne is batman and he can never stop being him but i do want to know like it's really fucked up that alfred told him that he's the one that killed his own parents why is that the thing this will make him stay if I told him he killed his parents? I know. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, God damn, Alfred. Like, that was so savage, dude. Like, of all the things to tell this guy, this is what you say? I don't know. You just think he would have tried to make a more peaceful environment for him if he wanted Bruce to stay. Yeah, it would have been way more realistic. He's like, yeah, your parents were murdered. You know, uh, they caught the guy, but you were just, you know, so fucked up from it that you couldn't recover. But he's like, no, nah, you did it. You killed them. It's like, what? Now, this whole thing here, I didn't really look into it, um, you know, the first time, but but this uh, this kind of reminds me of what it's like to be gaslighted. You know, like mm. you see that there's a problem somewhere. You see that something's not right. And, you know, it's kind of where we are, right? Like we're we're trying to talk about how broken the system is and, and uh, you know, in the time of COVID, how there are certain things we should be following, certain guidelines, 
but but there are people who just continually uh, tell us like, oh, you know, you're being too emotional. That's not true. You sound crazy. It's not that big of a deal. We had the we had the swine flu. We had the avian flu. We had SARS. Like it's all just it's all just bullshit. It's overblown bullshit. Uh, and I think you know cr- credit where credit's due to Batman for sticking it out and being like, no, I know for a fact that my my mindset my reality is correct and yours isn't yes i mean it's the one thing about batman he always kind of um you know sticks to his gun so to speak like he he never backs down you you can't convince him otherwise and i think that's why like in so many different comics and scenarios you always see him he's always batman you know no matter what situation you put him in he's he's gonna find a way to to prove himself correct and, and find a way out of it and you know this is no exception even in Grant Morrison's uh, Batman stories, there's a moment where the bad guys uh, kidnap Batman, get him hooked on heroin, and put him in, in like in a, in a homeless tent city. And he still and he loses his memory and still becomes Batman at the still end. Still becomes of Batman, it. or he travels through time with no memories. He's in like what the caveman era. He becomes Batman. Like you just like he's just Batman. You know, he's more Batman than he is Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and um, you know, we see in this story, I think the one thing he holds on to, like in uh in Grant Morrison's it's the Zer N R, uh, which uh, you know dates back to like a Batman uh saga in the fifties. But uh as long as Batman remembers that uh that phrase, he will always find a way to become Batman. That's what he holds on to. In this, Batman finds uh, a penny in his cell, and when he finally convinces Alfred, like Hey man, sorry. I you know I I have to go. You know you know who I am. I can't just know that the world is gone and let it be that way. I have to go out. And and Alfred's like, you're right. Um, take this penny with you. That's kind of like his. You know, remember who you are at all yep. times. And it comes back later on. Once again, I didn't realize that Alfred was the one who let him keep the penny and how it actually keeps coming up in the story. The first time I went through, Ollie realized it in the be- in the beginning and the end of the story. I didn't realize it keeps coming up. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a common theme throughout, you know, this penny and and how it, it keeps him grounded, I guess, as Batman. Another thing I should mention real quick is that at the uh, supposed end of uh, of one of Snyder's Batman runs, he makes it canon that Batman made a machine that would reproduce a Bruce Wayne for every generation. So if the Batman before him died, he believes the world always needs a Batman. So there's a machine that will make a biological clone of him in his prime. So he's not. So this story takes 20 takes place 20 years in the future. This Batman is 20 years younger than everybody else. Yeah, Scott Snyder, I feel like, has an obsession with making him young again. You know, like he just keeps doing it. He's like, Batman's not, he's not old. He doesn't have any scars. He's young and he's in his prime. Uh, like that and having Batman team up with the Joker, I feel like is something that he really likes him to do too. He <laughs> like, does. Yeah. I mean, he really ships the, those two and he loves the Joker Batman dynamic uh, as, as we see in this story as well. Um, you know, maybe that's why he didn't really put Damien into any of his stories either. Like that was a big thing that Morrison. That's why Morrison killed Damien at the end of his run because he didn't want to uh, to date Batman or age him. Yeah. Yep. And uh, of course, at the end of this uh, ruse, we find out that Alfred is actually much older than he's letting on. And um, you know, we see this th- this generational um, 
theme that we keep bringing up in all of our podcasts together is that Alfred is um, Alfred is older and he thinks he knows better. But, you know, it turns out that in the end, he's just scared to lose whatever he he had. He really wants to hold on to his piece of the old world. Yeah. I mean, Bruce is his son, more or less, you know, and, and uh, he wants to keep him safe. He wants to keep him with him. He doesn't he doesn't want him to he doesn't want to lose him again. Yes, because we do find out later on that the reason this Batman exists is because the original Batman is gone and he's lost. Yeah, he, he died in the very, very early moments of this, uh, you know, apocalypse, so to speak. So um, so he takes the penny, which we'll go back to at the end of the story. Uh, but Batman sets out on his own and finds the, the Joker head in a jar and takes that with him as his traveling companion. And this is very much like the Batman version of Old Man Logan, if any of you have ever yeah, read that. definitely. You know, yeah, we're doing one last job, uh, venturing across the apocalyptic wasteland uh, in order to, you know, to get to our goal. And everything we knew is a little bit different. It's kind of turned on its head. They never really explain how Joker's alive, um, but he does bring some no, really don't. welcome uh, comic relief, I think. Like... There's some genuinely funny moments with him, um, and this is a DC Black Label comic, and so he's yeah. like allowed to curse and like, like, like. There's just some funny moments that he has. Everyone's allowed to curse. They're yeah, really yeah, pretty on much. That. <laughs> um, so he he kind of breaks up the tension a lot with these with these ridiculous Joker moments. It, yeah, it's so good. He, the whole time he's like, "Oh, like, can I be Robin now?" Um, <laughs> so funny, <laughs> you know. He's he's just continuing. Um, oh, and we do see. Uh, at the beginning, there's this narration in the story, and you know this guy who's narrating it. He's talking about how, like, you know, this was Batman's most important case. I've been with him since the beginning, and and uh, you know, let me tell you how it went down. You think it's Alfred, but it turns out that Joker's actually narrating the entire thing. Yeah, yeah, it's all Joker talking about the, this entire story. Yeah, and then there's that that opening uh, story which keeps coming back in each of the three volumes. There's a piece of it where it's like. Um, like Batman's biggest case, right? Like he finds a kid in crime alley and it turns out it's Joe chill's son. And like that, that whole narrative is happening right before you get back into, you know, this futuristic world. It does happen. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I was really unclear about it the first time I read through this. Um, but obviously rereading it, it makes a lot more sense why it's happening. Oh, good. So maybe you can shed light on that for me at the end, because I wasn't exactly sure. Um, how like I see the story itself progress, but um, other than like the line of chalk, which they bring back at the very end, I, I was kind of a little lost on that as well. Okay. You know, meanwhile, we're still in the beginning of the story. Like I said, there's there's stuff you can look into if you want. Um, you know, the Green Lantern uh, babies that we find, uh, you know, throughout, <laughs> um, you know, the 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 wasteland. Um, they're just uh, we find out that they're that during whatever epic battles happened. Uh, following the fall of the world, that uh, Mogo, who is the who was the Green Lantern planet responsible for dispatching rings when Green Lanterns die, we find out that it was destroyed and crashed, and that there were just a bunch of Green Lantern rings left everywhere, and the people who are wearing them don't have the willpower to wield all of them, all this power. So they're just kind of slaves to the ring, and the ring is conjuring up these huge like titanic looking babies uh that can't be controlled with these human bodies hanging from them and it's such a fun visual 
Yeah, it really is. It's a really fun, exciting uh, moment. Um, it's you know it's pretty over the top, but it, it's cool. And then it allows him to be introduced to uh, these survivors that rescue him. You know, um, including Poison Ivy um, and some other you know recognizable faces, um, which leads to you know the big one, which is Wonder Woman. You know, Wonder Woman's alive. Uh, she's obviously battle scarred and damaged. Um, yeah, she's and, rocking this mohawk. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, so badass, but <laughs> yeah, she 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 absolutely is. She has Doctor Fate's helmet, which has no magic anymore. She's just wearing it as a helmet. At this yeah, and point, she's like guarding, the, you know, what could be the last humans left on Earth, you know, with free will. Um, and, and she kind of breaks down a lot of what's happened to this Batman, explaining to him, you know, how he's, um, you know, he's obviously not the same Batman because that one died, right? Like when this all started. Yeah, so what we kind of find out in the first issue is that Lex Luthor was on, you know, national, if not international TV, and uh, made this case for why humans, like regular people, not metahumans, should revolt. Uh, We learn more about it in issue two, but the basis that Wonder Woman gives us is like he... Uh, he made this argument for like, you know, we shouldn't let people in masks control our lives. And so people kind of took that to heart and, you know, through sheer numbers alone, started overthrowing uh, not just the villains, but also the heroes. And but that- it started with the heroes and then they, they turn on the villains later. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. So it, it started with the heroes. Then they went to the villains, which Lex didn't expect at all. And uh, and we find out that like when it came to the Hall of Justice and everybody, all the heroes were in there trying to save their own lives and close the doors. Batman was the one who let them in. Yeah, he opened the door. I think he he believed that in the end they would do the right thing. Right. Like he believed in the people. So he wanted to show them he wasn't scared and he believed in them. So he he held the doors open and uh, they fucking butchered him. They massacred him. Um, and a lot of the other heroes, including, I think, Green Lantern, uh, not Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, Black Canary, and, and some others. Oh, yeah, they go they go into that. I really wish, like, he had more space uh, to, to tell this these stories because we see the aftermath, and it's like, oh, wow, I wish I could have seen the actual I, battles. I would have loved, like, honestly, like an eight to ten part series where he could have, like, really, like, showed us, like, maybe flashbacks to that. Um, you're, like... You know, we'll get into it more, but I think the last issue of this is a little rushed. I would, I think it could have had a little more space. Yeah, to, yeah, I could see that to show what was happening. I don't know if it really matters, but I made a point in my notes to uh, to mention that the Green Lantern babies reminded me of Wall Street uh, because it's just like a bunch <laughs> of man children uh, who who have so much power yet um, are completely immature and uh, you know emotionally stunted individuals. Oh, I like that. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think Snyder meant it that way at all, but I just thought there was a fun, um, you know, fun comparison to make. I'm sure it was something. So yeah, uh, and here, you know, you mentioned before, like Snyder knows Batman really well, and and he he does. Uh, you know, this reminds me of that Justice League episode where they finished up the Batman Beyond storyline, and Waller is talking to an older Terry McGinnis, and she's telling him this, you know, the story of of Batman that really changed her mind on him as a hero. And she says, she says, I've never met anybody who cares more about his fellow man than Bruce Wayne. And that's illustrated here. You know, even when the world was losing its mind, Batman still, because he is one of them, right? He is 
uh, at his core, a human being, and that's what separates him from a good majority of the Justice League. Yeah, he has no powers. You know, he just he's just a guy in a bat suit. Yeah, so I mean, you know, this scene we we find all this out, and then you know, Wonder Woman's plan is to uh, lead all these survivors into Hades, right? Yeah, her plan is to leave, and Batman's really not about it because this version of Batman didn't see how things got so bad. He's just like, the, this whole time, he says, like, we got to stay and fight. Every time he meets someone new, we got to fight. We got to fight. And everyone's like, no, like, we already did fight. You missed the fight, dude. Yeah, the we're, fight's over. <laughs> yeah, right now we're just trying to survive. And, um, you know, kind of brings up, like, discussions I've been having with D, uh, my fiance recently, you know, how how she's like, oh, I'm nervous about, you know, my working situation after all this is over, um, if it's over. And, you know, and I'm I'm telling her, I'm like, I'm like, I think things are going to continue to get worse. Like, I'm 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 of the Wonder Woman mindset. I'm like, as yeah. soon as we can, let's get the fuck out of the country. Like she yeah. she she wouldn't do it because she still has family here. But like, you know, we, we've seen we've seen right now that our country does not care about us as as working folk. That no. they, they did not take care of us as much as other, you know, you mentioned before, other countries are doing mortgage freezes and, uh, you know, and making up for lost pay uh, because of because of this pandemic. Uh, but I it might be too late to get out. Like, I don't know if they're going to want us. Like, who's going to want the, the Americans who, who, you know, who didn't know how to handle the situation? Hopefully Canada. Um, but <laughs> the... <laughs> You know, but like, for example, the beaches are going to be open this weekend for Memorial Day, dude. I think they said they're not now. I think they changed it, but I could be wrong. Well, it, not all of the beaches, but um, I mean, I, you know, watched, I watched News 12 uh, this afternoon. Oh, as, really? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, things could have changed since then. Things are constantly updating in the news cycle. Um, but yeah, there's like one beach in Nassau County, two beaches in Suffolk County, uh, which, you know, I, I, I really don't think it's a good idea. I know people want to try and get things back to normal as soon as possible, but there's no way they're going to maintain like, oh, we're only going to be at 50% capacity. Um, you know, go to a fucking supermarket and see how many people maintain social distancing, you know, when they're supposed to, you know, yeah, uh, it's true. Yeah, they want to come at it with the you know with the Batman point of view that people will do the right thing, and you know I'm I'm at the Wonder Woman point of view. I've seen it right in front, like you know people don't have a problem getting close to you if you're looking at the eggs, at to, you know to get their yeah. own eggs instead of just waiting. Like, you know, is is the answer just leaving? Because you know, like the common people, like you and I. And I know, and I know this really sucks to say. You know, are we going to make a difference aside from going to the polls? And 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 voting. However, we're going to vote. Are we really going to, you know, fundamentally change this country at this point in our lives? It's our votes don't matter anyway. So honestly, no, we're not. All right. So you're also Wonder Woman. Um, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Omega Man. <laughs> <laughs> Omega Man is in Charlton Heston, or you are Omega Comma Man. Uh, Omega Comma Man. But you know, Charlton Heston was cool. And the the last thing I noted in issue one was that, um, you know, Wonder Woman tells Batman, she says, the world doesn't want saving. Yeah. Like, like this is this is the fate they chose. Right. Like this is this is what they wanted. They have it. She tells him, you know, you can still save lives, but not by going out there and fighting and by coming with me and protecting the people that are here that want saving. You know, I think she and she gives him his bat suit. Yeah. She says the world out there, it doesn't want saving. Maybe it never did. And, um, you know, that really resonated. 
Like, we, we see people who are constantly, Ty, constantly voting against their own interests and acting against their own interests, too. Every like, day. Every single day. Every day. And it's like, you know, maybe they don't want saving. That's, that's Yeah, that's man, we've that. talked in, in great detail, uh, I think, on the podcast and, you know, outside of it about, you know, the, the political climate and um, the fact that it's Joe Biden against Donald Trump in the election, right? And yeah. how it's the worst fucking candidates you could ever have going against each other. Um, and, and, you know, when there's so many other options that could have been there, including, you know, Bernie Sanders, who was obviously much, much better. Um, and it's like, this is what the people want, though, right? Like, like this is this is what they've chosen. The DNC has picked Joe Biden. You know, people want Trump, and there's so many Democrats that want to vote for Biden. Like we've talked about, like, all right, fine, we're not going to vote, we're not going to take part in this. You you chose this future, let you have it, and you know, yeah, it kind of goes back to what she says in here, and it's like, you know, maybe the, you know, people don't want to be saved. They, this is this is the future they want. Well, you know, it it harkens back to that, uh, you know, to that little monologue the joker has in the dark night you know he he talks about how bad the plan is but people still i think i mentioned this in the previous podcast too how bad the plan is but people still want it because it's better than the unknown you know it's it's all part of the plan even if the plan is horrifying it's still more comfortable yeah they don't want things to fundamentally change right people are afraid of change yeah, um, I mean, you know, my plan is to just, you know, write in Bernie Sanders. That's going to be what I do. And yep, yep, same. And that's it. But uh, you know, but people have shown. I showed in the last election that I am willing to uh, play by the rules uh, that that are set out before me. You know, they stole the election from Bernie, and I was like, all right, I'll vote Hillary just to keep Trump out of office. Guess what? That didn't work. So why am I going to do it again? Why am yeah. I going to compromise my own morality? Well, it got us nowhere, right? It put us back in the same situation again this time, uh, you know, and all it did was make you feel like shit, you know? And I, I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah. I feel like I made the wrong choice, and now I'm paying for it again. You know, like, you, we have to take a stand and let them know we're not going to accept that. Which I guess in a way is what Batman's doing, right? Like he's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna accept this future because he doesn't yeah, stay with true. Wonder Woman. He decides that he's gonna go out there and he's gonna fight. So I don't know, maybe we were a little bit of both. Yeah, that's 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 true, and we do see that that um, Batman being uh, this version of Batman being uh, a younger and more idealistic Batman is what separates him from everybody else in the story and what kind of is his is his strength he's a little bit it seems like he's almost naive definitely does like everyone around him has seen so much and they're all trying to tell him like you know uh, you don't get it you don't understand he just keeps trying to tell them like no no you just gotta fight like it's just so simple to him yeah because i mean really the idea of batman it it is simple right i mean it's you know, a little boy who who suffered, uh, you know, crime that, you know, depending on what story you're following, was born out of desperation. And instead of growing up and becoming a philanthropist and trying to fix the system uh, within Gotham City, he decides that he's going to dress up in a costume and punch people a lot. And, you know, like as a kid, yeah, that makes sense. But he carries it over into him being an adult. Um, I want to say this is episode nine of our podcast where I covered this with uh, my friend Antonia, the psychology of of Batman. 
Um, but yeah, th- this Batman, he he does seem to be idealistic. And, uh, you know, we find out in this issue that that idealism is a little bit contagious, right? It definitely is. You know, he, it's kind of inspirational. Joker and Batman continue to uh, traverse the landscape, you know, and you find out just how depressing the world is, that all of the flashes that have existed are just in the speed force, uncontrolled, in a storm, destroying everything in their path, and they want help, but but Batman can't help them. Um, you know, uh, and, and the, if you look into it, it's kind of this beautiful moment, too, because... Uh, Joker's like, yo, get away from that uh, speed force storm. It'll it'll either, you know, age you up to dust or it'll turn you back into like, you know, baby, you know, into a baby and into cells before you even existed. Like it just fucks with time and kills you. Uh, But then when Batman hears the storm calling out to him saying, help me, he goes toward it, you know, but it but it leaves before he's able to make it there like he has no way to help them but that's who batman is he yeah, runs into into the situation when everyone's running away and, and again you don't see this really from his point of view it's from you know joker's the one talking about it you know we're we're hearing his voice and you know he's talking about how you know batman's drawn to the storm and he knows he can't help but he wants to you know he hears his friends you know barry and, and bart and jay uh, you know wally all like begging for help and his first instinct is to jump in and, and do something, even if he can't. And as they continue to traverse the land, uh, they see that, um, you know, the water, the oceans are no longer boiling, but they're still at an unlivable 152 degrees. Uh, there's, you know, uh, there was Fort Waller, which was like the last stand where Nuclear Man was uh, supposedly protecting uh, them. But there was a huge, uh, you know, there was a huge nuclear meltdown. So now people are mutated. Uh, you know, we see that both the red and the green. I know the green is a swamp thing. What's the red? Is that Animal Man? Uh, he is the avatar of the red. So like the the red is basically um, living creatures. All, yeah, like all organic life on, on the earth. Yeah. And and the green, which uh, you know, the uh, swamp thing is the avatar for the green. Am I right? Yes, and the green is oh. obviously like plant life, plant uh, life, you know, yeah, and all things like that. And there's also like a avatar of decay. I forget what they call it, but so there's there's three all together. But it's mainly the the red and the green. So yeah, we see that even like they both, I think, joined forces, and it still wasn't enough, uh, you know, to save anybody. Yeah, I mean, and everyone's just killing each other, right? So you have, like, these mutated people and these, like, hush people, right? They all have, like, bandaged faces. I'm not sure what's going they on. They do exactly. have bandaged faces. Yeah, I guess you could relate that to hush, right? That's I thought it was, what like, I was going just because they were mutated or something. But they were fighting mutants also, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm not sure either. But they're, they're killing each other, and, you know, Batman's, like, gliding over it. Um, yeah, and, he's on a hang glider with Joker's head. And he wants to help, and he's like, we have to help them. And, and Joker says, which side? Yeah, which side? And, and Batman's like, all of them, right? Like, he wants to help everybody. He doesn't want yeah. to pick a side. You know, which which is, um, you know, that made me feel kind of guilty, too, because, like, at this point, if you're a lockdown protester, you know, you're violating orders in place. You're, And I'm not usually the guy who's like, oh, well, you should just follow orders, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, but like you're bringing your kid to these events in the middle of a pandemic. Like if you get COVID-19, I'm kind of like, oh, well, fuck you. Too bad. Um, but but that's not that's not what this Batman would say. He says, help everyone, regardless yeah, of what def- side you're on. He definitely wouldn't say that. He would want to help each and every person, no matter what, you know, what they said or did. 
the Joker comments on how like Batman views everything that's going on in this world now as so unnatural. Uh, but Joker says it was the most natural thing in the world. We revealed ourselves. Oh, it's deep. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, we do have this moment where uh, Alfred, he goes back to, uh, you know, this little piece of Gotham and uh, comes into contact with Scarecrow and Bane, who are now under the control of Omega, which we, we didn't really go into. A, yeah, I don't we kind of really find out. out about Omega, right? No, they just say that, like, um, after people turned on the villains, things were, were anarchy, and then Omega came out of nowhere, and he was more brutal and powerful than anyone before. He um, had the Omega Force, right, or uh, whatever it's called. He killed Darkseid. The anti-life equation. Yeah, the anti-life equation, and he, he was basically, you know, taking over the planet. And so, yeah, so so everyone's following him. And like you said, he's super cruel and, uh, you know, gets things done. And Wonder Woman tells Batman, like, uh, you know, kind of starts putting these ideas in his head. Like, um, this is definitely somebody, you know, like he's somebody you've trained or somebody you're related to. And it gets it's it's really fun. It gets the reader thinking like, oh, who is it? Dick Grayson again? Is it Damien? Um, you know, and Batman is like, is it another version of me? Is it yeah. is it one of the Batman clones? You it's know, because it's definitely unclear who it is, but it's somebody somebody close to him. Yes, yeah, so, and this this was such an interesting moment, and uh, I'm not going to spoil it until we get to the very end. But um, this totally makes sense. Like when we find out who he is uh, later on, definitely. But um, but Alfred gets uh hit by Scarecrow's um fear toxin, and it turns out that it actually doesn't put him in a place of fear. Omega grabs him and he says to Alfred, don't worry, you convinced the Waynes not to go see Zorro and you saved everybody. They're all safe. And Alfred's like, as he's dying, he's like, oh, I see them. They're all safe. And he drops dead. Like, so the last thing, the last memory he had was a happy memory, even though he thought it was cool to tell Bruce that he killed his family as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's also clear that Alfred probably knows who Omega is or has a good idea. You know, yeah, when, it when seems he, like everybody but him. Batman does, but like they don't. It's so it's so it's weird. weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. They're like, you know, we know who it is, but you'll figure it out. Another thing I thought uh, was interesting is that as Joker's explaining all of the different stuff, like he's explaining all the technology that came to Earth in an attempt to help, like from, you know, like from Thanagar, which is Hawkwoman's planet um, or Hawkgirl's planet uh, and, um, you know, Starfire's planet. The, um, she's not Thanagarian. What is she? Orange, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but but basically, we're comic fans. All, we're comic fans. Yeah, yeah. We totally know um, <laughs> funny books. Um, but there's all the uh, all this technology that totally went to waste because of humanity, which you know kind of you know stands to reason. Like humans are more powerful than we think. Yeah. Um, but also it, it goes to show that like doesn't matter how how many advances we've made. Like we're at our most technologically advanced point in time and tomorrow we'll be at an even more technologically advanced point right but still you know we continue to to work against our own interests yeah it seems it seems to be what we do all the time it just uh, there doesn't seem to be a way around it I, I, don't, I don't know how you ever stop humanity from from hurting ourselves and just like uniting to do the right thing uh do you want to talk about the um debate between lex and superman yeah, so, you know, at this point we wind up in the Fortress of Solitude because I think Batman refuses to believe that Superman's dead. You know, uh, Wonder yeah. Woman tells him that he's gone, he died right away, too, back then. Uh, 
And Batman doesn't believe it because it's you know it's Clark Kent. He's he's the greatest hero of the DC universe. He's he's the guy that you know never never you know stops getting back up. And and you know Batman feels if he can find Clark, then they really have a shot. So you know they go to the yeah. fortress, um, and he gets attacked, I guess, by like some protective. Is it a bomb? What is that? It's like a ship, right? That lands or something like that. I don't know well, what's going on. Well, there. yeah. Um. So we find out that. Uh, Lex is able to use Brainiac's crown to open portals to other dimensions and times, and he keeps trying to bring Superman back through, uh, you know, but but he's trying to make ba- like Superman, uh, the baby version, come through uh, in his little ship. But so Batman doesn't ba- know this yet, right? He he like oh, one lands yeah, right yeah. in front of him. Yeah, all these little like uh like tiny space pods are are like it seems like they're attacking Batman. They're just falling next to him, and he's getting the shit beat out of him. Yeah, and then you know who shows up? But Clark Kent. You know he gets rescued by you know an older Superman with a beard. He looks like he's he's been through the ringer. It looks um, really cool. He does look really cool. I love that image of him carrying Batman. I'm like, I was like, oh my god, yes, he's alive. Uh, and then you so find cool. out he's not. <laughs> he's he's uh he's like a clone, I guess, right? Uh, like so a, yeah, like Superman had these, I guess you could say like organic cyborgs, uh, yeah. that, that he would use for his own, uh, like if he needed to prove that he wasn't Clark Kent and they'd both, both of them needed to be in the same place at once. So, uh, this thing has like some Kryptonian DNA, but there's really no brain there. He just kind of does whatever he's told. Yeah. So, you know, Lex Luthor is here, a very, uh. Uh, sickly looking Lex Luthor. And yeah, he's, he's skinny and looks uh, kind of manic. And he's wearing a Superman shirt. You know, <laughs> he's, he's wearing a Superman shirt and he's controlling all these Superman cyborgs, you know, and he explains that, you know, to, to Batman, like you said, he's been using um, these portals to try to bring uh, Clark Kent as a baby, you know, Superman back, back to this planet um, but every time he does, he's either dead or disintegrated. It never seems to work. Um, and then he, he explains what happened. And he basically challenged Superman um, to this moment where they would have a speech and they would they would plead to the world their cases about who was right. Um, and, you know, he was going to be able to listen to the thoughts of everybody. And depending on, you know, who won, the loser would be basically killed right like uh they would be impaled by these kryptonian shards which are the only thing that can kill superman yeah um so you know superman gets up there and he gives his speech and he gives this heroic inspirational beautiful speech that's so touching that lex luther is even like kind of shook by it what's up all you cool bats and robins we're gonna put a pin in it right there so make sure you tune in next week for part two of the politipop podcast review of batman last night on earth in the meantime we're gonna be writing out on the following song for part one related to the whole post-apocalyptic theme this song is called if the world was ending and it's by jp Sachs featuring julia michaels in the meantime, if you want to let us know what you think of the podcast, feel free to go on to Podbean or iTunes and rate and review us. You can find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Find us on Instagram at PolitipopPodcast. Email us at PolitipopCast at gmail.com. And as always, you can find our show notes and sources at the PolitipopPodcast.wordpress.com website. Special thanks to you, the listeners, and to Antonia Little for logo design. We'll see you next time. I know, you know, we know, we weren't for each other and it's fine. But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? 
come over and you'd stay the night Would you love me for the hell of it? All our fears would be irrelevant If the world was ending, you'd come over, right? The sky'd be falling and I'd hold you tight And there wouldn't be a reason why We would even have to say goodbye If the world was ending, you'd come over, right? Right? If the world was ending, you would come over, right?